Okay. Well, Connor. Hello. Welcome as our guest. Thank you very much. To the beautiful studios of Tudorama. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be back. Well, you've given away the secret now. You have been here before as a, <laughs> as a distant member of the clan of the Tudors. This is it. Okay. So today then, we'd really love to know a little bit, a little bit about what you've been doing. Yeah. And uh, Catherine is going to ask the questions. And I'm going to try and interrupt from time to time. If either of you give me a chance to interrupt. How, how about that as a, a deal? Sounds good to me. Okay. That sounds great. So I will, I will try and ask good leading questions that aren't too wildly specific like last time. Um, but I, I suppose the first thing to ask is, um, Connor, what have you been up to in the past few months? What productions have you been involved in? You know, which roles? Um, yeah, just go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so... Um... I've been working up in Stratford upon Avon, um, uh, a Shakespeare company. Um, I was originally contracted to do Henry Six Part Two and Three, renamed as uh, Henry Six Rebellion and Wars and Roses, um, playing the role of um, <laughs> a, a nasty guy, Clifford, um, uh, who was wronged and then uh, takes his vengeance out on all of the wrong people in all of the wrong ways. Um, and then I, I was also asked to then stay on as. Um, the second murder of the game, Richard the Third, um, which I'm still currently in. We're in the last two and a half weeks of the run right now. Um, uh, yeah, it's been super fun. Um, and because we were in rep with a show that I wasn't in over the past few months, I managed to have three weeks off work, uh, so I'm on the way in for the And now I'm really chilled to schedule, which has allowed me to be here with you. So when it's when it's the most busy that it is, how many shows are you doing in a week or a month? So most busy um, will be eight shows a week. Um, so that's uh, a show each evening, bar and Sunday, with um, a show, a matinee show, two days a week as well. But with the RSC, it's kind of uniquely um, crammed in because there's a really comprehensive understudy system that has to go on. Um, so it means that once the show is open, once you've moved past press night um, and there's no more rehearsal show in the daytime, you are then, depending on the size of your understudy role or roles, you then get called in in the daytime to rehearse alongside the shows too. Um, so at one point in time, it was eight shows in the evening, um, rehearsals for understudies as I was just describing, at the same time as then rehearsals for Richard III uh, just started as well because it was an overlapping, uh, two overlapping companies, both of which I was in. So um, they, it's, it's quite prestigious to be the RSC, or so is said, um, and it's, it's really wonderful, but they really do get a pound of flesh. Yeah. It's, it's um, the, the hardest and most tired I've been professionally, yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, I, although I'm really enjoying it, set times, and you get paid well, but more time, I would kind of prefer the time as opposed to all the time. So, sure. Because it's so, it's, it's so tricky, so yeah, age was Sure. So, obviously, Tudor and I, um, as people that are listening to this will probably know, um, we do a weekly newsletter that's about sort of, you know, historical moments, cultural moments, and creativity in relation to that. Um, the plays that you've done are, you know, the, the royalty ones, you know, the, the history plays. Because you're doing these, have you had to learn anything about, like, the era that they're in, the monarch that they're about? This is going to lead into what we talk about next. So have you got any awareness of, like, the history that you're working with? Totally, yeah. And it's, it's one that, I as an actor, when Shakespeare is mentioned, if you're not all that familiar with it, there's almost a feeling of, like, you kind of nod along and pretend as if you know. Some people are mentioning Agincourt and Henry V and, um, 
was with France, I, a previous job, I really just didn't have a clue what they would have meant. Whereas now it really feels as if, um, yeah, the, the basis from which we're working in Henry VI is the, off of the back of Henry V. And then obviously the, um, Richard III is actually next. So learning the, like, how different the Shakespeare's are to the history is really interesting in itself. But then the, the bowl of history that you get along with that is also really interesting. So, um, I suppose, yeah. yeah, I suppose it says a lot about how how history will be translated into art in a few years' time, <laughs> um, which leads us into a question that Tudor had. I mean, you can ask it, Tudor. Yes. I mean, I, I couldn't help thinking last week that what I was watching was an enormous Shakespearean performance that lasted for, for 10 days. And I could see the connection so much. So I had a sneaky question for you, which was, suppose Shakespeare had come through the ages and was going to write the play of uh, Elizabeth II. <laughs> I was wondering what sort of play do you think he would have come up with for Elizabeth II? Yeah. Well, considering that uh, plays like Richard III are basically Tudor propaganda because at the time of writing, um, they uh, kind of depicted the the evilness, um, in inverted commas, of the, yeah. the previous regime to then highlight the, the grandeur of, of the current regime, if you will. Um, I think that as the media have done over the past, um, uh, since, since the Queen has passed, um, it would be the most kind of polished, yeah. the Queen the queen is the hero that kind of slays the dragon and um, ends in, in, uh, in, in grandeur. Um, so it might be a tragedy in that she, she dies at the end. Um, <laughs> but also, I don't know, like... To extend it to that, or fifth act. Yeah, yeah. But, probably, yeah, but also, I don't know, there's not really much comedy in, in, in the royal family of late. So, yeah, maybe maybe a tragedy wherein she is the hero. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was thinking more or less that. Yeah, it's a BBC production, obviously. <laughs> BBC's already well into this. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting that parallel between celebrating someone within a play and what they're doing right now. Yeah. Which is funny because it's not meant to be like art or there is no, there's no artistic license for the BBC and yet here we are watching them lord her the way that they are. I mean, you know, a lot of people argue what it's deserved and stuff, but we, we have been saying there's almost not any room for any other take. There's there's not very much nuance. So, you know, it's, they're quite similar in that way. Yeah. And it, it feels like impartiality, which the BBC is supposed to be at the forefront of, um, presents both sides, right? Whereas it just feels as if there's only one side. And especially as a, as a, a man of Caribbean heritage, my dad was born in Grenada, the monarchy literally represent the reason that my ancestors were taken from the African continent. Taken to like if it's not for them and that time period, then essentially I don't exist in this country. So it's impossible for me to view the monarchy and royalty without that lens. And yet, if I was to say that on any kind of platform, um, then that's then that's kind of anti-Britishian. That's like go back to where you come from and all of that stuff. So um, I, I just think that it's it's a re, it's the coverage has been really tailored to a very specific type of person. That then is assumed that everybody, fit, that, that, but then it's assumed that everybody fits under that kind of uh, person's scope. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been kind of baffling, but also kind of um, unfortunately predictable as well. I wouldn't have thought it would have gone any differently than this. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um, 
I think what's interesting is a lot of the coverage is talking about her as a person, and a lot of these people, like members of the public, that were queuing up, coming on, saying, "Well, she was just this, and she was just so kind." Would you? And the thing that was so striking to me is that there's this really odd parasocial relationship that millions of people have with someone that they don't know and they never could have known. And there's like an unwillingness. If we start to talk about um, imperialism and colonialism, people start talking as if that's a slight on her person. It's not. There has to be some distance between what someone is and what they represent. And unfortunately for her, she's probably embodying like two massively conflicting different things, like a, a history of violence but also just being a lovely, like, a lovely lady, which I think is why there's so much, like, tension when we talk about mm, things yeah. like this. I, I think we really struggle, especially, uh, I don't know if you have far better memories than I ever could, of how um, we navigated almost two things being true or, or um, the duality of certain points and people. But I feel that today in, in 2022 social media generation, the loudest voices and the ones that are heard. There's no room for um, Churchill being a war hero, but also being a, yeah. a, a violent racist as well. There's no room for that duality. And it feels as if it's the same, but, but kind of on steroids with the Queen. Yeah. Um, and you can't acknowledge her years of service um, but if you acknowledge um, the, the colonial. Um, See, it's just because we do the same thing with Shakespeare, we put him on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the fact, I'm just thinking about Henry V. And Henry V was obviously the, the classic charismatic who could do no wrong. Yeah. And so in one sense, he's one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet he's considered, the films of Henry V, yeah, yeah, those yeah. mega films, yeah. so wonderfully. But then you'd say, would you mark that 10 out of 10 for, for, for playmanship? You know? yeah, but because well, of Shakespeare, it's very successful. Exactly. But he's also a war criminal because he invaded France. Yeah. So um, Owen Horsley, our director of Henry uh, um, Part 2 and 3, he's a, a massive history nerd, as, as he would um, attest to himself. Um, and he, uh, when rehearsing the play, he gave us the kind of backdrop of, of Henry V. And when Henry V's father was dying, apparently on his deathbed, he said to Henry V, um, the best way to unite the country is through a common enemy. And so at that time, I think the country was at each other's throat, but then making France the enemy. Um, meant that they all came together. And it was the Battle of Agincourt, I, I don't know so much about it, but it was kind of, the way that it was won was in quite a, a fortunate manner. And if it's not for that battle, then the whole history of our country is, is, so, so, is so, so different. So it's like, that is a, a real easy point to look at and say, uh, and, and, and glorify it. Because if you then jump into the politics of it or the ethics of it, then it all gets a bit murky. So, Write a great play about it, make great films about it, and uh, kind of put it in that realm of history. That's great. I think what we'll do is give anyone who wants to have a last question, a last question, <laughs> and then we we'll break it up. Okay. Well, just just to bring it back, so within these two plays that you were doing with Garvis, you haven't been a villain both times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've been talking about like what it is to be a villain, and that maybe some people have elements of villainy within them. But again, there's not much room for nuance. But if we're just going to strip this whole thing of any nuance right now and have a bit of fun, in the last week, in the last two weeks, this whole charade, this whole performance, who is your most hated villain? 
Thanks very much. Massive, massive.